crazy COVID time. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I think everybody's still adjusting back from that. I think so, and I don't. I don't know that. I don't know that things will ever go back to anything like, like you know, to being what it was before. I feel like it's kind of left its permanent imprint of a new new era. That is my fear: is that this is just what it's going to be now. Yeah. That people are going to be at this heightened state. The fear, the yeah. the reverberations are just going to stick around, and we're never going to get back to anything pre-COVID. Yeah, I. I mean, that's my. That's partly my hit. Definitely there's a lot of fear in people of just like, I mean, viruses in general now and bacteria is like the micro world all of a sudden. Everybody's on edge. But but I feel like it also, at least in, in my experience, it's uh, I see a lot of people that now have lost a lot of trust in like kind of some of our larger uh groups of a government that you know we've been so accustomed to listening to kind of blindly and I, I see a lot more questioning which I think is not a bad thing at the same time you know so I've seen people go both ways either super duper fear or you know it could be empowering if you let it right does that questioning extend to you and your practice or do you feel like that's more general medicine um I would say not in my not in my personal practice, in the medicine that I practice, but I feel like more of that distrust of Western medicine. I mean, I feel like around here we already had that because um, our, our just our medical field out here is kind of lacking in, in um, hospital setting, nurses, A lot of ways. staffing, yeah, um, specialty doctors, all of it's lacking. Um, so, yeah, I feel like people are definitely looking for more of an alternative at this point and trying anything else before you know, some of the Western solutions as far as surgery and, and medications. And yeah, that's just what I hear all the time. That's, I mean, maybe that's just the people who seek me out because they're already looking for something different, but. Well, and Humboldt's yeah. unique in that perspective in that I think everybody is more open to ideas up here. Yeah. There's not this hard line of, no, you have to go this one route. People around here kind of are pro figuring it out on their own and trying yeah. different things and testing different perspectives. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we definitely live in an area where it's a very diverse politically. And um, I think that leads to a lot of one type of people and a lot of different type of people. And, you know, so we kind of get the full spectrum of, of just uh, views and opinions and all that. So for better or worse, right? <laughs> so is it a good time, would you say, to be someone who is practicing medicine outside of a traditional Western view? Because you can kind of fill that niche for people and maybe reach those who otherwise wouldn't have come your way? I would say yes. I mean, not that, I don't know, that was definitely one of the reasons why I got into it was because I wanted to be something different. I wanted to offer a niche that people would seek out something that could both complement Western medicine, but also be much more on the preventative aspect of preventing people needing surgery or preventing people like I feel like at least traditional Chinese medicine it has a very unique way of seeing small problems before they become big problems and I I think that tends to be an area where western medicine lacks because like just take lab testing for example they have such broad ranges and you can be on like the lower end of you know whatever they're testing and still be within what they call normal ranges but they wouldn't know. They would just be like, oh, you're a little bit on the low side, but, you know, do whatever. You'll be fine. It's like there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of preventative care. There's not a lot of education surrounding diet choices and exercise choices and 
lifestyle choices and stuff like that. So I think I think that's where Chinese medicine excels and, and other forms of medicine like naturopathy and um, Ayurveda and stuff like that. Like those all see smaller problems before they become big things. That falling into the average is what scares me because I've heard stories of people going to, you know, their primary care physician and maybe they're 40% body fat, 50% body fat. And the primary care says, oh, you're fine. You know, you're within the average. And you hear that and you're like, that's might be the average. That's not a good average. That's not where we want to be. Right. And, and most averages are based on men. So women especially get left out of that like what's normal for women? Well, they're basing all the averages on men because they're the larger people that are involved in studies. So, you know, that's that's just a whole problematic. Other thing. Yeah, I've heard that's yeah. huge, especially in the mental health field, mm-hmm. because all of the medications and everything and how we diagnose them were tailored toward men yeah. initially. And so now we're trying to figure out, OK, well, maybe this isn't the right approach for women because mm-hmm. their bodies work differently. The systems are different. Yep. And maybe we can fine tune it to make it a little better for them. Yes, very true. Yeah. Nope, I would agree 100%. So how did you get into traditional Chinese medicine? So your background is you have a doctorate in that or what? I do. Yep. I have a doctorate in traditional Chinese medicine. Um, I am also a licensed acupuncturist in the state of California. So essentially that's a very long story and I could start like from the beginning or I I could start just from my schooling. Um, But I was raised here in uh, Humboldt County, so um, I, my name's Reagan Lima, so I'm a, a Lima, and my parents have owned Lima's Pharmacy for the last 25, 30 years. Um, so I always grew up in a health healthcare setting. Um, I think that from a very early age, I was inclined to to health in that way and to taking care of myself, but also helping people and um I initially, when I started going to school, I wanted to go into Western medicine. I mean, yeah, I wanted to be a nurse or I wanted to be uh, an MD or a specialist specialist of some sort. And through my schooling, I kind of had like a quarter life crisis where I was like, this is, I was changing a lot. I moved away. I lived on my own for a little while. I kind of started becoming my own person uh, away from where I was born and raised and away from my family. And I realized like, this is not what I want to do. This isn't how I want to contribute to the world. It's already it's already out there. It's already available. People are already doing this. I don't, I don't need to contribute to something that people are already doing. I want to do something that people aren't doing and that people need. That's a niche that's different, but still in the way of health. So it took me a while to figure out exactly what that is. And I, I changed my major a few times. And um, yeah, I actually, I was living down in Santa Cruz doing my undergrad at this time. And I discovered that there was that well first that you could even go to school for acupuncture like just that in itself I was like what that's a thing people do that and this is back in like well like 2014 2015 so um and then I found out that there was a school in Santa Cruz um, a private school specifically for traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture and it was just like I went to an open house and it was like light bulbs it was like this is this is what I want to do with my life this is it's different it's effective it's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years it's it, it's something that intrigues me and it you know still to this day I'm like constantly learning new things I think that's one of my favorite things about it is that I will never stop learning I will never stop growing I will um, I will always be exposed to new people who have different problems a different set of problems and whether it challenges me or whether I've seen it before like I, I know what to do to to make it work and to help them 
Had you had any experience with acupuncture or TCM outside of having that realization that this is what you wanted to do and finding that private school? Was this like a path that you had? I hadn't. No, no. I I literally this I was trying to figure out what to do, and I had looked into naturopathy and and some other alternative medical modalities, and um, I think I like saw a commercial for acupuncture when I was on this cruise ship, and was like, whoa. Like, I didn't realize people did that still, you know, I, of course I've heard about it, but it's always portrayed as like, I, I don't, like yeah, this far out thing. Totally. Oh, it's not real. It's pseudoscience. Don't yeah. touch it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I just kind of kept coming into my, my realm of my world that like get kept like just coming up in conversation randomly, like things that I wouldn't even be the one to bring it up, but it just kept popping up around me. It's kind of like synchronistic series of events. It was like, nudging me the universe nudging me nudging me nudging me and then finally I was like okay well you know and then um it was actually one of my majors was anthropology for a while cultural anthropology and we were doing like a a class project on healthcare throughout human history and I mean Chinese medicine is the longest standing form of healthcare that we have in our written history so that came up quite a lot and it was one of those things where I was like whoa I didn't again I didn't realize people actually like this is a whole field of study a whole field of medicine all on its own and um yeah it was just like a gradual increase in like uh just intrigue and wonder and looking into it more and more and more and then finding out that there's a school and going to the school at at an open house and learning about it and then I read a book about it and then I you know every step of the way I just fell more and more in love did you have any hesitation going into it were you worried that maybe it was a pseudoscience or you were full sail I was pretty full sail I mean what what is pseudoscience right it's like and and even when you look at the broad scheme of things science itself has only existed for uh you know as far as what we know it 50 to 100 years max like it's it's just one view of looking at the world and it's not it's not everything is set in stone. It only looks at what is perceivable with our eyes, with our ears, with our nose, with what can be replicated. And that is limiting because it doesn't allow for the full scope of things to be to be more than just what we can see. Like there's so much fine. I mean, we only see like less than what to less than 10 percent of the light spectrum. So what what else is there that we're not seeing? You know, that's my thought. So I was very open-minded, I would say, as far as um, seeking something different and then, you know, being challenged in that way. And I think that's something that I have to do a lot is um, educate people to be open-minded, to see things differently, to not be so black and white. You know, it has there's there's gray and there's everything in between. So, Well, I would imagine you would have to be pretty open-minded to go down this path, even initially, yes. because it seems like now... And correct me if I'm wrong, there's a lot of science out there, especially around acupuncture. And it seems like there's one of three camps. It's either it's fake and there's you could get the same results from placebo or there are some benefits slightly better than placebo, but not really. Mm-hmm. Or they're the people that are like, yeah, it helps for certain things and it mm-hmm. makes a difference. And there's studies to back that side up. I mean, it's very divided there's not like a 100% yes it works or 100% no it doesn't and we need to move on to something else yeah yeah that's very true um and I think that's probably 
large, I mean, for me, it's not something to like be believed in or not believed in because if you are, have any idea of how long it's been around. Thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, just in written history, 2,500 years. But beyond that, I mean, you can get into the pretty barbaric areas where we didn't have any writing and things were written with bones on turtle shells. And that goes back over 5,000 years. Like this has been a conversation. TCM has been a conversation for over 5,000 years. And it is a result of all of that time of clinical empirical evidence through working with people. So, I mean, to me, that speaks for itself. It's survived countless wars. It's survived, you know, countless eras of like book burning and, you know, things like that that have happened throughout China, throughout history. Um, And then it spread, you know, to Western world. I mean, only in like the 70s. It only became legal in the United States in like the late 70s. So. I mean, I would think that if if we really think that like Western medicine is the only route as far as like medical care, then that would be very egotistical thinking that we we only know best because this is all we know. This is all we're taught in our short lifespan. So, you know, I've always had a much broad, much more broad view of the world and history and mental thinking and development and all that stuff. And I mean, TCM has been there through all of it. So. So break down acupuncture specifically for me. What, in your interpretation, when you're doing it, what is the process? What are you hoping to achieve through it? Because I know that through the TCM perspective, it's you're balancing chakra or you're trying to. Not chakra. Chakra is more of like a um, a Hindu concept. Yeah, it's chi is one of the one of the many things that we're balancing. And, you know, when people ask me this question, I can answer in a lot of different ways. I can cater to more of the scientific mind and speak about how it helps to regulate hormone production, how it increases, stimulates like neurotransmitters in the brain, specifically enkephalins, which are known to help block pain signals. Um, I can talk about how it increases blood circulation through the tissues, all the tissues in the bodies and the organs. Um, but I mean, at the at the very fundamental level, what I do is I utilize the body's resources to enact a specific healing response. And I focus that healing response in an, in the area that like me and the patient are working on. So that's one way of explaining it. Or I can talk about, you know, chi and blood and jing and or essence and um, yin and yang and all of these like very in-depth Chinese medical theories that most people would be like, well, what is that? <laughs> so um yeah, basically utilizing the body's internal resources, boosting the ones that are deficient, um, decreasing the ones that are too in excess or relatively in excess, and using that to have a specific healing response happen in the body. Do you align your interpretation of that more with the TCM method, or do you apply some of the Western ideals of, you know, we're trying to activate the nervous system and we're trying to activate the immune response to target whatever problems are going on. I more utilize um, language that people are familiar with to explain it. But when it comes down to treatment principles, treatment protocols, what I'm doing, it's based all in traditional Chinese medical theory, because otherwise it wouldn't work if it didn't. I can't I can't apply Western medicine to traditional Chinese medicine and have the same outcomes. It's it's 
designed in its own system. It is its own system. It's standalone. It works on its own without the existence of Western medicine. I just use that language to explain to people what I'm doing and how it works. Because that's the approach that they're used to here. That's, so that's what they understand. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had a lot of time in, you know, reading medical theory, Chinese medical theory. So I have much more of an understanding of exactly what's happening and how it works and why, why it's happening using Chinese medical language, which is qi and blood, which, you know, may or may not be correlated to the same blood that you and I know, but similar. Um, even the organs themselves, like the liver in Chinese medicine, is not necessarily the physical organ of the liver that Western medicine uses. So, you know, I I, I kind of gauge where people are at and like how open minded they are and how I need to navigate that in order to explain to them in a way that is receivable. And I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things about being a Chinese medical practitioner is like we learn this completely different way of thinking and then we have to integrate it into the Western world and bring it to people with Western thinking and Western minds and, and you know, hope they understand or figure out a way to help them understand. So taking the TCM approach to your explanation, are you, break that down for me, are you trying to use these needles to block the qi or? Typically, no, it's, um, no, it's more about increasing qi flow. Um, like there's this old saying, like where um, where there's pain, there is blockage, whether it's a blockage of qi or a blockage of blood. Um, so usually it's about increasing qi flow through certain areas. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would say. And there are hundreds of qi points? Um, there, well, in just traditional Chinese medicine, there are um, close to 400 that we learn in school. And then that's... That's just the bare minimum of what we learn. And then there have been people throughout history who have come up with their own set of points that they've also practiced for, you know, thousands of years and then, you know, passed on to disciples and, and people who, and, and, you know, if it's effective and it gets results, then usually they stick around. So there's, there's several different styles. I mean, more than several, there's tons of different styles. And I think, uh, I mean, that's something that you kind of navigate after you get out of school and learn the bare basics of everything is you get to kind of delve into what intrigues you most and which styles work for you most. But I think, you know, what's most important is that you at least have those those fundamentals down because without that, you can't expand upon it. Yeah, you need that foundation. For sure. And so with the chi points they could be connected to anywhere not relative to the to the exact location they are on the body, right? So you could use a chi point, say, in the ear, and it could be connected to something completely different, like knee pain or something. Well, yeah. Yep. We use, um, we call them acupuncture points, and um, we utilize the points that run on channels. Each of the major organs have its own channel, and then there are a handful of other channels that, um, things like the governing vessel, the conception vessel, things that are not necessarily specific organ related. Um, And those channels, some of them traverse the entire body. Some of them only run from the chest to the, to the tip of the fingers. Some of them only run from the tip of the toes into the chest. Um, So they all kind of have their place and they all have their functioning based on the organ system or the channel itself, what it, what it's best for. And you navigate by picking and choosing what, what you want to do in the body and picking the points that do those things. Um, 
But yes, there's also auricular acupuncture, which is points in the ear. That's actually it's like traditional Chinese medicine, but it's a separate system of of the 12 channel theory that we use body acupuncture. It's um, I use it more of it as enhancement to my treatments. But there are practitioners that only use ear acupuncture because it's super convenient and it's just only in the ear. Um, but yeah, so. So that's like an add on on top of traditional. It, acupuncture. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And what typically are you treating? So when somebody comes to you with, is it normally just pain? I know I've heard IBS. I've also heard mm-hmm. colorblindness. How much is that? Lots of stuff. I mean, anything, any, any symptom that ails you, you can come to, you know, it's, and oftentimes people come to me with like a disease where it's like, you know, I have, I have this or I have that, you know, a specific disease, but what Chinese medicine doesn't acknowledge Western medical diagnosis is it's its own diagnostic system. So I take, okay, well, of that, what point or what symptoms are bothering you? And usually I get, you know, a list of symptoms that Western medicine has most closely associated to that disease and go from there. And, and I, I treat the symptoms and I treat those symptoms based on how they reflect in the person's constitution and what I see in excess, what I see in deficiency and, and go from there. So I treat a lot of different things. Um, but pain is definitely the number one thing I think that acupuncture has gotten the most attention for and has been most studied as far as scientific research in in clinical studies. Um, so that's definitely where I think a, a, the majority of the people I work with is like low back pain, neck pain, hip pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. pain is that where body. it's most effective? Utilizing acupuncture? Um, I wouldn't say it's most effective necessarily, but I mean, it's effective at treating a lot of different things. So I also treat insomnia, depression, anxiety, any, any type of digestion ailment, whether it's like constant bloating, constipation, uh, diarrhea, vomiting, upper respiratory infections. It, it treats everything because it's its own standard. It's its own set of it's its own type of medicine. So, But it's not guaranteed to treat, right? No, no. I mean, you couldn't. Yeah, no, there are things that it's not. Yeah, I can't say that I can guarantee you treatment. But what I say is it will work on it together and see what happens. And usually within a handful of treatments, we'll be able to tell, like, is this working or is it not? And if it's not, then usually I shift things a little bit. If it is, then we we stay the course. What does the treatment plan look like? You do five and then reassess if it's working for them or not and then continue on? It's different for every person. I mean, someone who's had like chronic back pain for 10 years, like it's going to take a lot more treatments because uh, it's taken that long for them to get help from me and, and utilize the way that I do things. So um, someone who's been in pain for 10 years is going to have a lot longer of a treatment protocol than someone who's had pain, back pain for six months or who just, who just um, you know, tweaked their back the other day. So it, it varies greatly. And each person gets their own specific treatment protocol there um, and follow ups. And yeah, usually I say like for chronic things, I'll tell people you want to you want to give it a solid eight to ten treatments for more acute things that just recently came up or just recently started happening. It's usually between three to five treatments that we start seeing results. But once those results begin, what happens is they they tend to compound on themselves. So um Sometimes what can happen is people will see really great results for a handful of days and then it might start to go back in the other direction. And that's usually usually what we do is like, okay, at that point, we're, we're working together weekly, once a week for, you know, five to six weeks. And um, 
then we go from there. You know, we see, we see how those results hold. And if they hold longer than the week, then I say, okay, let's go to two weeks, every two weeks and see what happens then. And then as soon as those results are holding for two weeks, we go to three weeks. And then eventually to where we're on just a maintenance schedule where it's like, you know, just every maybe six weeks to two months, come in and get a tune-up, maintenance, check in, see how things are going, just tackle any smaller issues that people might have. So, yeah. Is the maintenance routine, is that guaranteed for most treatments, even if they are successful, is you're always going to need kind of a tune-up after every few months or well, so? You don't need you don't need to have any problems to get acupuncture. It is an amazing um, stress management tool. It's super duper relaxing. So in, in that way in itself, it's just, it's great for our modern go, go, go culture. It's like kind of some, some people tell me that it's the only time they have just to stop and have an hour to themselves, like quiet time and lay and do nothing. Um, so, I mean, at the bare minimum, maintenance is good for everyone, whether you have problems or not. And that's how it excels at preventing things. That's where the preventative aspect comes in because, you know, you might get like a little thing that comes up like, oh, all of a sudden I've been getting a lot of headaches. And I'll be like, okay, well, and we work on it. So where are your headaches? And then we get that to go away before it becomes something worse and worse and worse. The body tends to give very small cues before it gives very loud shouting cues. And we have a tendency to ignore those smaller cues until they become a big problem that then interfere with our life. Well, I think that's the root problem with Western medicine Yep, is that's how we're primed. Yep. You're primed to go until you hit the brick wall yep. and then you go and you get patched up. Yep. You're not trained to, oh, maybe I'm tripping before I hit this brick wall. Exactly. So let me figure out why I'm tripping. Yeah. And then you can stop, stop it before it happens. Yep. We don't have that preventative case. It's very true. And I think culturally... We are always in this go, go, go state, very externally oriented. We don't take a lot of time to stop and just sit and be and ground in our bodies and assess what's happening. Like if you were, if you got more in tune, if people were taught from an early age to be more in tune with their body, they would recognize things long before like something massive had to happen in order for the body to get your attention. Like, hey, I need, I need something to change this lifestyle is running me into the ground. And if you don't change something now, eventually you might not be able to move at all. So, yeah, I think that's it's a very culturally taught thing to just be constantly on the go and no breaks. And to patch over whatever problems you have. I yeah. know a ton of people who are, you know, popping Advil or ibuprofen yeah. daily, weekly yep. for months because they've got some systemic problem. Yep. It's like, don't you want to figure out Right. Why you have to take four Advil every morning? Like, right. what should we try to figure out why that's happening? Yeah, no, I'll just take the Advil. No, I I know a lot of people like that too, unfortunately. And um, yeah, I think it's a lot easier to remain blind to the problem and just take a pill that takes your problems away, as opposed to setting yourself up with a lifestyle shift that is going to sustain you into old age. We just we don't really age very gracefully like anymore it's we kind of hit a point and then things just start to decline really fast and um it's just yeah what do you think that stems from um well just that go 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 mentality that's part of it an accumulation of diet choices that have become very normalized in our culture 
um, alcohol consumption that's very normalized in our culture. These things that are patching up problems and not being solution oriented, but just covering it up enough to get through the next day or the next week or however long. Um, it's just not a lot of root based thinking. It's more systematic, like just patch it up and keep, keep pushing. I want to keep living my life the way I've always been doing. I don't want to have to change anything like change. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like habits are one of like the biggest things when it comes to the human mind. Like our, our minds rely on predictable predictability and feel safe. Our nervous systems feel most safe when we can sit in our normal hardwiring and just do run that on repeat. It's easiest, of course. So anything that challenges that is going to feel a little out of whack at first. Why do you think there's the discrepancy between traditional Chinese medicine and Western medicine? Is it just because we have the technology that we have kind of forgotten the basis of where we've come from in some regards and that preventative measure because now we do have medication. Now we do have the ability to do yeah. transplants and, you know, yeah. miracles of science. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely aspects of Western medicine that are miracles and definitely needed for these worst case scenario events. Um, however, where I think that discrepancy comes from is it comes from a very, very long time ago when like Rockefeller medicine was introduced and they realized that they couldn't put a patent on something that grows out of the earth, which is what herbal medicine is. And they shifted to petro petroleum based medications because it was made in a lab. They could slap a name brand on it and sell it like crazy. So... And meanwhile, they have isolated a lot of those plant compounds it's, and gotten yep. their patents. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, and then you mix it with a lot of other things and it becomes, you know, yeah, it becomes more concentrated, which sometimes is better and sometimes is not better. Um, but yeah, I think that when that big shift happened, you know, that, that Western mentality really blocked out a lot of the previous ways of doing things, the herbal medicine. The, the using plants to heal and change and, you know, help our, ourselves. And um, they made it out to be very pseudoscience-y. Was, it was very intentionally done. They stopped people from learning it in their, their medical schools. And, you know, they, it's, it's kind of been a very long process of grooming. And I think that is where it really stems from is like, just a long, long time of people thinking a certain way because that's what their doctors were taught and that's what their doctors tell them and that's what people typically blindly follow without question is, well, my doctor told me this, but your doctor was, you know, went to school 17 years ago also when, you know, all of the modern science nowadays is not even applied to their schooling. So things have changed even in the time that they were in school, but they were trained in a very specific way to help you with a very specific thing, which is what pharmaceutical do I need to treat this? So that's, I mean, they're doing what they're taught and they're only spouting what they're taught. So, and that's not, that's not diet. I mean, you yeah, look diet at diet is completely missing from <laughs> no, that. Education. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's completely absent. So they really get zero nutrition information unless they actively are seeking that out for themselves. Um, and a lot of doctors too, they don't, they don't always stay up to date on the on the modern research. And it, it takes like 15 to 20 years for 
proven clinical research to even hit medical schools. So every every doctor that even graduates is still always operating like about 15 to 20 years behind the current research. Um, so where does the discrepancy come from was your question. I think I answered it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, if you had to pick one root problem that is systemic, it almost feels like it's diet and just mm-hmm. the lack of understanding around diet. People diet go through life yep. eating pizza or eating burgers every day. And mm-hmm. then it's like, why do I feel like crap all the time? Yeah. Or eating these processed carbs. Mm-hmm. The processed and foods. Just, I mean, yeah, which how many people are constantly eating that? Yeah. Right. I mean, just, you know, quick and easy out of a box. Everything's in there. Um, but another part is just, it's just the norm. Um, and that's what's in our grocery stores and people don't, there's not a lot of question around like the, what the ingredients are. And then you look at this long list of ingredients that you can't even recognize or pronounce and you're just okay with putting that in your body. (laughs) And it's got all these dyes and all these additives. Yeah. Yeah. Does that need to be in there? Right. I mean, you look at other countries that have banned a lot of the ingredients that are People are consuming for almost every single meal. And you have to ask why. Like, why is our why are our government agencies not doing more to protect us in the way of health? The reason is because it benefits them, because it creates more patients. More patients equals more money. Big pharma, it fuels back into everything. And yeah, so it's it's unfortunate, but um I think more and more people are realizing that they have more power than they think that they do, and it, it all comes from what you do on a day-to-day basis in your, in your daily habits, and that's something I say all the time. It's not what you do some of the time. It's what you do most of the time, so eating, you know, whatever, a piece of pizza here and there is not bad for you. It's, it's just keep it in moderation. Make sure that you get back on track with something else, and I think that's another big thing in our culture is like these diet fads where it's like, oh, I'm going to do this juice fast for a month and not eat food for a month. And it's just like, well, that's the, you're essentially putting yourself in a starvation mode, first of all, which is, again, not not very good. It might work for some people. It might help you lose weight, but it might also make you gain weight because your body is scared that now it doesn't know where it's getting its next meal. So what is it going to do? It's going to pack on fat to protect you. So there's, um, you know, I think the fad diets are also kind of a, a problem because People think, well, if I can, I can do this one thing for four weeks and, you know, and then, and then I can go back to my, the way I've always been. I, I think people just like to stay in their comfort zones. And once you realize how much better you feel, like actively making a lifestyle shift on a day-to-day basis, that's when you get to see the real, real results. Well, I think it's hard because those results are delayed. It's, You're exactly. not going to not eat pizza for one day and then feel great the next day. It's, yep. I mean, sometimes it can take weeks, it can take months. Mm. It's like working out. You're exactly. not going to see results after the first time you go to the gym. You have to just trust the process exactly. and try to carry through. And then when you see the results, it can give you the boost. But you have to hit that point of, I can see the progress being made. Yeah. And that's, the, I think, the challenge for a lot of people. Yeah. Delayed gratification. Exactly. Another, another thing that's ingrained in our culture is instant gratification. What does a pill give you? Instant gratification because it's super... It's right now. Concentrated compound that's just going to have its action very quickly. So, yeah, delayed gratification and commitment. I mean, commitment can be a hard thing for people. Discipline, it's another huge thing. It's, it goes against 
a lot of what, like I said, our safety nets of, of our nervous system is, is predictability. So sometimes you have to change what is predictable and sometimes it doesn't feel good at first. And then once you get into the habit of it and your body settles like, oh, okay, this is okay. I am safe. It's like, it just becomes part of your way of life. It's just that daily routine, making it a daily routine. Yeah. And then yeah, just having faith that it's going to work out. Yeah. Well, and, and not beating yourself up when you fall off, fall off the path. Just know that I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this meal or, you know, this vacation. And then I'm going to get back to my normal life, which is, you know, healthier, <laughs> ideally. <laughs> That's my problem is I can get very hyper-focused on what I'm doing. Or so say it's, you know, eating clean. I'll eat clean and then be tempted with the pizza. And it's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then when I finally do, it's I'm eating the whole pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and then so I might do that, you know, a couple times a month. Mm -hmm. But it's still, it's not the moderation aspect of, okay, I'll have, you yeah. know slice a week it's no i'm gonna wait two weeks and then mm -hmm. i have a whole pizza and then right. i'm gonna keep going right and sometimes it's better just to give into that craving and know yeah, that and it's just okay just slice. to have a one or two slices for dinner and then get back on track versus the no i can't no i can't I feel like there's also this um when we're told no you know even from a young age it's like we want it even more <laughs> like well you told me i can't so now i gotta have <laughs> yeah, it yeah exactly so do you work on because you also it's Lima's acupuncture and herbal center. Mm -hmm. So what is tied into the herbal center aspect? Herbs. Herbs. <laughs> Simply put. Kind of a giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, there's five major branches of traditional Chinese medicine, herbology being one of them, acupuncture being one of them, uh, myofascial release, massage, cupping being another one of them, um, as well as diet and lifestyle. That's another big pillar. And um, lastly is energetic medicine. So there's a lot of different facets that you can go into and specialize in just under the field of traditional Chinese medicine. It doesn't have to be acupuncture, but um, herbal medicine is another very commonly used one route that acupuncturists tend to combine with herbal medicine because together they are so, so, so effective. Um, it kind of helps to kind of instill the blueprint that we work on in the office together with acupuncture. It keeps that going while we're not together, you know, for that week or two weeks or whatever span of time. Um, so typically, like my herbal formulas, at least what I use, people use um, different things, but I use pills because that's what people are most used to. I mean, it's typically easier for people just to take a hand, you know, some pills than it is for someone to do a decoction, which is like boiling the raw herbs and creating a tea and then drinking that tea that probably is going to taste really gross, like three times a day um, or a granule, which is an already, um, you know, essentially decocted version of the herbs that then is a, in, made into a powder, what we call granules, and then you mix that with hot water to, again, make a tea that you have to taste. But usually people don't want to taste like very earthy, bitter, sometimes, you know, tons of different flavors that you, you wouldn't even think or be exposed to comes in herbal, herbal medicine. But um, usually people don't want to taste that. They just want like simplicity. And that simplicity tends to come with pills because that's what people are used to. So. And yeah. you guys are making all of that in-house? I don't make them. I buy from a company. Um, like people grow the herbs um, and people use those herbs raw. Or you can, you know, dry them out, blend them down. You could take a lot of time doing all that if you want to. I, I don't do that. I just like leave that to, um, you know, a well-trusted um, company that. Yeah, kind of outsource that <laughs> Exactly. Part of so I just order the pills online and um, then, you know, use my knowledge to assess what formula is 
best for what person. Um, and usually they're like a blend of, um, I mean, they're all plant parts or naturally occurring elements. So it could be, you know, flowers, it could be leaves, it could be stem, it could be bark, it could be root, it could be um, even minerals. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of um, unique and wide variation of things in, in herbal medicine, but that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea. And you said one of those five parts of TCM is myofascial release. What is that? Myofascial release. So um, myo is muscle, fascia, fascial is fascia, which is essentially the connective tissue that encompasses every organ, every muscle system of our body. It's this network of connective tissue that is kind of like this net and keeps everything in place. So um, it's essentially working on the muscles and the fascia in order to usually relieve pain, but there are a lot of different uh, medical functions, like even from, um, you know, upper respiratory infections, you can do work on the back behind the lungs and really help to open up the lungs by using, by working on the muscles and the fascia that operate behind the lungs. So, yeah. And that are each of those five pillars, you were utilizing all of those in your practice at Lima's? Um, I do. Utilize, yeah, I utilize all of them actually. Yep. Do you find that you have a pretty equal distribution of clients amongst those? Or? No, no, definitely not. Nope. Acupuncture is definitely number one. Cupping is a close second. Um, Cupping is another one of those things that kind of falls into that woo-woo that, category, right? Uh, it could. I mean, it depends on who you ask, I guess. But if you've ever had cupping, you feel instant results. I mean, it's, it's, it's that instant gratification. That's probably the only thing in Chinese medicine that gives you instant gratification is right after it's done. You, you, after you feel those cups pop off, you're like, wow. I feel so relaxed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It depends on who you ask, I guess. What is the process with that? Um, or what is the idea behind it? So essentially, you're, it's like think of massage where you're pressing into the body, but this is almost the opposite where you're pulling the skin away. You're creating more space between the tendons, the ligaments, the fascia, and where, the, where it connects to the muscle. You create more space to increase blood flow. So... And lymph flow. I mean, the, the fluid of the lymph throughout our body, um, those two systems work very closely. So essentially, like the, ver the main treatment protocol for that is to increase blood um, or move blood. So when you see those like perfectly circular bruises on people or they're not actually bruises, but they're very similar looking. Um, what it is, is stagnant blood that gets trapped in the muscles and you're, you're drawing it out of the muscle and into more of that lymph layer between the skin where the body is able just to clear it a lot easier. When it gets trapped in the muscles, it's a lot harder for it to clear because the only way for it to clear is for blood to move through more quickly to push it through, which, um, you know, can happen with, with exercise and stuff like that. But um, anyway, you're drawing the blood out and that increases blood flow. It brings fresh new blood, which, I mean, you need that flow of fresh new blood because that's what brings all of the um, recovery components, the healing components to those muscles. It brings the nutrients for the muscles to operate properly, um, the the hydration to those muscles. So that's kind of what it does out in a nutshell. That makes sense. I've heard a lot of like UFC fighters mm -hmm. doing that to increase yeah. circulation and stuff. Yeah. Olympic, Olympic athletes. I mean, I think like Michael Phelps was probably the, one of the biggest first ones where people saw them on his back and they were like, what is that? And it kind of just has, um, gotten a lot more attention since then so great for muscle recovery which is typically why athletes use it um, as well as pain aches and pains that come with being um and a professional athlete so is that the typical demographic mm -hmm. is people who are 
working out pretty rigorously? Uh, I wouldn't say people working out. I or would athletes. say I'd say pain and tension are the two biggest things that people get cupping for. Yeah. Pain and tension. Tension as well. Yeah. So pain even just even people who don't work out but who sit at a desk all day long and have like their shoulders always hiked up and um it yeah, it's great for that too. So yeah, it helps um kind of you can recorrect that posture of like constantly being hunched over. Yeah, that's me. Sitting here <laughs> working at the computer or editing yep. a podcast, just hunched over and then like, oh yep. crap, I gotta Yeah, but it I happens. mean yeah, those people who work out a lot, same same thing, because oftentimes people don't stretch enough when they work out. And so that ends up leading to the muscles being in this constant state of contraction versus the elongation, which is what the stretching does. So it helps to encourage that in the muscle. It, it elongates the muscle and, and, and encourages them to re- let go and relax. Yeah, I fall into that category too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I keep meaning to get into yoga because I feel like that complements exercise really well, especially yes. like strength training. Yep. Anyone who works out a lot, I'm, I'm always like asking about how much they stretch because people just will totally not even do it at all. And I'm like, okay, well, not only is it a great prevention for injury, it's um it's it'll help you build more muscle like i don't think people realize that it is it is the opposite thing that gives more to your body in order to build it further um while protecting it and while increasing blood flow through the muscles all these things that you want you know but and it helps with mobility which is huge i mean especially if you want to work out effectively and utilize your full range of motion. Right. You gotta be able to move. Yeah. And be able to squat down past the age of sixty or seventy and yeah, keep doing these things that you can do as a, a young person but can't do as an old person. Like that it's it comes from just that that deep stretching. And I think, you know, it's it's another one of those things that forces people to stop and slow down and be in their bodies for the first time in a week and a half and and then it feels unsafe because it's like, I don't know. It's boring or whatever you know people don't like to be bored <laughs> it's weird how little we actually take care of our bodies when you're in this thing for hopefully 80 years i mean 80 years on a good day right yeah you're yeah it, you've got this vessel yeah. and people will take better care of their cars mm-hmm. than what they're stuck with yep they do and it's it's um i think it's largely because people aren't educated to do that by design unfortunately I think that's one of the good things coming out of COVID is I think more people are aware of how important health is. Yeah. Yep. I'm also worried about the counterbalance of now maybe more people are skeptical of modern medicine in a way that might come back to bite us in the ass. Yeah. Well, I think skepticism, no matter what it is, is a good thing because it means you're, you're asking questions. And I think questions are good because questions, if they have good answers, then, you know, I don't know. I think just, I think questioning has become more and more common with the whole COVID thing. Like people are now just asking more questions about everything. And um, to me, that's good. Do you think that you were already kind of in that camp going into TCM prior to all of this craziness that you were kind of already on this probably path of, okay, there might be some other, yeah. Yes. And there might be other answers than what I'm being told. Definitely. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and when the people in charge have a vested interest in staying in charge and continuing the narrative, why would they want anything to change, you know? Has, has the field of TCM and, I mean, more so acupuncture, I would imagine, changed since you first got involved? I mean, obviously, like we said, mm. people are awakening to it a little bit because of post-COVID, but has it 
in terms of its broader acceptance by traditional Western medicine, say, has it gotten better or is it still I kind of in this camp? I think camp? it's improving. I think it's definitely improving. Um, I say when I very when I first got into school, it was still very much like kind of, and still there are doctors that still do, but just write it off as like, oh, that doesn't work when they know like literally nothing about it. And I've never even read a clinical study about it, but oh, that just, that doesn't work. You can try it, but that doesn't work. I hear like people tell me all the time that they tell their doctors, oh, I've been going to see an acupuncturist. And that's, that's sometimes their reply. But more and more, um, I've been hearing the exact opposite, that their primary care providers have been recommending acupuncture, like, oh, go, you can go try and see if this will work for you. And um, so I think it's, I think it's definitely shifting. I think since COVID too, people are looking for alternatives, especially alternatives that focus in preventative and focus on educating their clientele about what it is to be healthy, what it, what a healthy diet looks like. Like that is a foreign concept to people. What is a healthy diet? Like what is healthy exercise and for who? Like every person is different. A menstruating woman is going to have much different like exercise guidelines than uh, a man in his late 20s, you know, it's just um, it's it's can be catered to the person and to their lifestyle. And um, so I think, yeah, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the acceptance and the shift in that. Mm -hmm. the, you kind of said something that struck a chord there is the idea of different things for different body types and for yes. different people. And one of the things that I haven't fully divested time into looking at but I have this very basic understanding of is women who are pregnant mm -hmm. and what they can and can't eat. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I feel like it's kind of a rabbit hole that I could go down because if they can't eat it because they're pregnant, should just everybody try to avoid these foods? Like, is there a yeah. reason, especially when it gets into like certain sea mm -hmm. animals that you're eating that have yeah. mercury, like some of these fish species that mm -hmm. are just jam packed with these heavy metals. Mm -hmm. Would that just be good to avoid across the board? Like if we can't eat it because, or a pregnant woman can't eat it because it'll affect the baby. Mm -hmm. Maybe it has some effect on you as well. Um, this is just I mean, my, if yeah, I'm going down this route. Yeah. On normal, like non-pregnant women, it would in theory have an effect on them as well. Um, it is a massive rabbit hole because a lot of the, I, it's a lot of it's very contradictory. It's like, oh, you can't eat cold lunch meat, but um, I could get, you know, a foodborne illness from like strawberries. What is like there was an HIV outbreak in strawberries recently or like from e like E. coli from lettuce. I could get it from anything. Why? Why deli meat? You know, um, so there's a lot of contradictory in it and there's so many rules. I feel like it's um, it's too too guilt ridden for people too of like, oh, I have to adhere to these guidelines or else this bad thing's going to happen to my baby. But, you know, the baby comes out at two months old and doctors have no qualms like giving it four different types of vaccines, which have aluminum and mercury in them and a, an abundance of other strange ingredients that you're like, well, but, you know, two months ago when it was inside me, this was bad for it. But now it's OK when it still has developing organs, you know, so there's there's a lot of qualms that don't exactly add up in in the way that it should make sense. Um, so yeah, the deli meat thing is weird. I didn't know that one. Yeah, deli meat, cold deli meat. That's one of them. Is it because um, of additives or how it's processed? I, 
honestly, I don't even know. I should know. This is my second pregnancy, and I should know. But um, yeah, obviously, that's not a rule that I follow very strictly. But that's okay. <laughs> what do you? So you are you pregnant right now? Do you I am. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm six Congratulations. Months pregnant, yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. um, it's nice of you to not yeah. assume. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, I can tell if you look. <laughs> what do you make of the whole vaccine thing? Because I feel like that is up in the air right now, or there's mm -hmm. a lot of discussion around it. Yes. Um, I am very questioning of it because you look at my parents, for example, people in, you know, their fifties and sixties, when they were kids, they got maybe eight vaccines total from this, from the time they were born to the time they turned 18. And then most people stop, you know? Um, Whereas if you look at children nowadays, they get, I think it's like 25 by the time they're six months old. By the time they're 18, it's somewhere between um, 80 and 90 different doses. And well, vaccines themselves and then the doses often, you know, there's, there's like four different doses in one shot sometimes. So um, I'm very questioning because what we know as people being quote unquote vaccinated, a majority of the adult population does not follow that category, but we're so strict when it comes to children following that category. And, you know, I think the whole COVID thing really, it was a very huge thing of like, so you have to get your boosters. And as soon as your booster wears off, you're no longer, you're no longer safe. But if you look at things like measles and rubella and all these other diseases that, you know, most adults don't get their MMR vaccine every couple of years once it fades, once it wanes. I mean, every vaccine has a waning period. It doesn't mean lifelong immunity. So I'm questioning, I guess, is my, my response to that. Um, I don't like adhere to any camp per se, because I feel like people really like to label, oh, you're, you're an anti-vaxxer or whatever. It's just That like, anti-vax branding <laughs> is so strong. Yeah, like, it once, is. Once that label comes out, it yep. shuts down all discourse. Yep. And it, again, intentionally done. You can, you can, you can categorize people into a camp and then discredit anything they say because it has such a negative connotation to be an anti-vaxxer. But again, I'm just, I just, I ask questions and I don't, I like to know exactly what I'm putting into my body, no matter what it is, whether it's injected or going into my mouth, you know, I just, that's the kind of person I am or going onto my skin all the way through like the personal care product industry, body wash, shampoo, like all these things. I, I'm conscious of what, what it, chemicals I'm exposed to and I'm conscious about my choices of what I expose myself to and how much and when. Um, so. COVID has made me more questioning in that regard. Prior to COVID, I mean, I've got all my vaccines for everything. And then COVID came around and their willingness to push a product that really made no difference. Mm -hmm. It really was not necessary. And yeah, I mean, there's evidence coming out now that was more detrimental than anything. Yeah. And people's desire, first off, not to accept the information as it did change into that negative perspective. Yep. And just ability to toe the line of a company. There's like a wasp right here. I've been watching. <laughs> like, uh. um, their willingness to toe the line for a company who really has no incentive to make a great product. They're yeah. just trying to make money and they made a they shit made ton more, of yeah, money. More than just about any industry across the board. <laughs> yeah. So you, like, I feel like that's always a huge thing you want to look at is who's making, who's profiting off of this because that's, 
that's always where the biggest incentive lies for these mega corporations is how to keep making more money. Um, and we know that they have done shady things. Yes. That's the crazy part. Oh, yeah. Billion yeah. dollar payouts because yeah. they pushed a product that, A, they knew yeah. was going to have severe consequences and yeah. in some cases knew it was going to kill people. Yep. And then on the flip side knew we're going to still probably do, do pretty good. Yeah. yeah because we're going to make some liability free. You can't actually sue them for it. You can, you know, call the va the VAERS vaccine adverse event, whatever, that database that they keep track of and you can tell them, but. I mean, it takes quite a lot before people actually decide to, oh, we should probably pull this from the market, you know? And by then, it's like a massive amount of damage has already been done to people because um, I think it's like only 11% of the VAERS like, cases um, are reported. So you have to figure there's probably 80 to 90% of people out there who just have these things now that they think they just have to live with and they just came about as like, but it's like, no, actually, it came as a result of you know, a pharmaceutical product that was produced and pushed on you and you obliged and, you know, you thought you were doing your duty. You thought you were keeping your grandma safe, but now. Yeah, and meanwhile, they control all the data from the trials and their yeah. ability to manipulate it and still be within the law is yep. so insane. Yeah. I mean, it, separate how people feel from vaccines mm -hmm. from the issue of them running trials yeah. it is insane it is. like where's the incentive to just not lie about it all right. because you're still within the law you can manipulate the data and use the data that you want that or just like use language that makes it seem like it's in a certain light because a lot of people won't take the time to actually read the, the clinical trials that they do on people and they can you know put this title on that you know suggest this and this and this and then you read and you're like that actually doesn't suggest that at all you know there was there wasn't enough people even in this study to use this as a valid study or their um their techniques were questionable or their funding was questionable because usually it's someone who has a vested interest in a specific outcome so they're gonna they're gonna make sure that they get that outcome because they're they're getting paid by the person who needs it to be that outcome so there's there's a lot of um, that's a big thing, I think, in um, clinical research. There's a lot of um, ethical questions that comes up, to say the least, to say the least. Yeah, I've that's been, putting it nicely. Yeah, I'd right. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're familiar with Robert Kennedy Jr. I am. Yeah, OK, I've yeah. been listening to mm -hmm. some of his speeches and he has obviously been labeled as one of those anti-vax guys. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to him talk about autism rates yeah. in older generations versus my generation and younger. Yeah. And it's insane. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there are no, I think it's placebo controlled studies on vaccines mm -hmm. just across the board. Right. They've never compared a fully unvaccinated child to a fully vaccinated child or like compared one vaccine versus the entire vaccination schedule. They've never done a full study on the entire schedule together. Like you don't know how all of those interactions happen, especially when a baby is getting injected so much they don't even have the the vocabulary to be able to tell you what's wrong, what they feel, what happens. And then, you know, five, six years down the line, they have a, a chronic disease and you just think that it's you don't know what you can't trace it back to anything. So, yeah, I, I'm familiar with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, he's um, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Robert well. Kennedy. Yeah, I'm it. familiar with that yeah. guy, too. But yeah, Robert Kennedy. Yeah. It's just it's absurd because if you would have asked me in 2019, there were always those people that say, oh, vaccines cause autism. I yeah. would have just 
wrote him off as, yeah. oh, this, there's some crazy quack yeah. who is out here spewing all this anti-vax stuff. Yeah. Cut to today. It's like, do we really know? I'm not even saying that they do or they don't, but do we really know? Do we have the information know, available really to say? Yeah. I mean, all you can do is, is do studies that support your claim, right? And you can have, I mean, there's a, there's a saying, there's enough evidence to support any claim in the world. You can do a study that supports any outrageous claim. So that's sometimes where like the clinical studies are not super reliable because it's, it's just, it's just not like it can be spun in any way that it's designed to be spun. And people take such weight in these one things, but it's like, this is just one way of showing that something is a certain way, but it's like causation is not necessarily correlate correlation. It's, um, or correlation is not necessarily causation. You can't, you can't necessarily say for certain. It's just that we have to look at the span over time and there has to be a reason why it's increasing. And there has to be a reason why like in the Amish population, for example, where they they get no vaccines, they have zero cases of autism. Like I heard literally that and I wasn't zero. sure if that was true. <laughs> yeah. I heard that a couple yeah. days ago and I was yeah. like, I need to, I, yeah. I'm locking this away. I need to look into yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, and if they do, it's like, I mean, that's the, that's the study I saw too, is that there was literally zero. They couldn't find any, anyone. So you have to ask yourself, you know, I mean. Which that's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's a strange world we live in, honestly. Well, it's just, it's worrying that even having this conversation is almost a no-no. Yeah. Just asking the question is yep. problematic. It is. It totally is. And to to ask your doctor that, I mean, they most doctors would instantly shut you down or just try to steer you away from answering the question because they too have a vested interest in keeping their patients vaccinated. They get paid. <laughs> To ha for how many vaccines they inject in people. So as soon as like, you know, in pediatrics, for example, as soon as a, a baby is not up to date on the, the vaccines, they, they get paid less. So, I mean, they have a vested interest in maintaining the narrative. It's almost amazing that more people aren't conspiracy theorists when you yeah. take everything into perspective yeah. and all of the all of the conspiracies of the past that have turned out to be true. Yeah. It's amazing that more people just don't go to the fringe and yeah. say everything's, yeah. it's all a psyop. It's all a lie. Yeah. People don't think as critically as they used to think them, you know, it's, it's hard to ask questions, especially when those questions make you stand out among the crowd or makes you someone different or just asking the question makes you labeled as an anti-vaxxer or an anti-whatever or a pro this or a pro that it's, it's, um, I think people are scared of being put into a camp of people that they don't identify with, you know? So that's, that's probably part of it. But, um, you know, it's, it's all by design. Once again, it's, it's what we're taught from birth in public school. It's, we're not really tr like taught to question things. We're just taught to like repeat, memorize and repeat. That's what people do. When you say it's by design, do you, do you think that there is a nefarious aspect of that? Or do you think that that's just how society was structured to get us to this point in some way? I would say maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you go back to like the origins of public school, it was designed for the working factory parent that had to go to work. And so they had to have a place for children to go for eight hours a day so their workers could stay so they could keep meeting their bottom lines and this and that, you know. 
and this is like probably more back in like warring times. Um, well, as if we're not close to that again, but like World War One or two, you know. Um, we might be there. Three <laughs> might be around, <laughs> right around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's that's where it originated, and um, it's a lot of it's just in like doctrinating information that. It's like, how much of all that information did we actually need? How, how many people remember their fifth grade history class and could recite it to you nowadays? And what was the point of that? Like, if I don't really genuinely need it, but they didn't take the time to teach me how to do my taxes, which is incredibly important, and I can go to jail if I do it wrong once, like, but they, they choose not to teach those things. And you have to ask yourself why. They choose not to teach financial literacy. You have to ask yourself why. Like, that's a hugely important aspect of being an adult and they do not teach they don't even really talk about it with children very much aside from counting money itself so um whether there's nefarious intentions or it's it's by design to create people that will continue believing in the narrative and continue like contributing to this system that we have built which obviously isn't working out very well for us i mean yeah it's another question <laughs> i don't have the answer to <laughs> I think part of the challenge of asking questions also stems from the fear of finding out the real answer. Yeah. It's like this thread. And if you, so say you start with vaccines and you start pulling on the thread mm -hmm. and then it turns out, oh, well, maybe these vaccines aren't 100% what yeah. I thought they were. Yeah. And then you go on to, you look at food and mm -hmm. it's like, oh, maybe there is some stuff in the food that is really bad that probably shouldn't be. You just, you keep pulling on the thread and it's almost like your psyche starts to unravel because yeah. all of these things start to fall apart. So it's almost better to just say, no, I'm going to toe the line because yeah. big daddy's in charge and he knows what he's doing and mm -hmm. I trust, trust the experts. Well, what does that right. mean? There are experts on both sides. Like who, right. what, we're going to trust the experts we agree with? Right. And a lot of experts, if they're doing their job right, they disagree. I mean, science was designed to be disagreed with from the beginning and then somewhere along the lines we lost track of that like concept of being able to question this person's study and then go about replicating it in a different way. But then, oh, all of a sudden it's not replicable, you know? So um, I don't know. I, th I think we've definitely lost that aspect of being able to just, yeah, go against the grain a little bit and do things differently. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to be outcast. Right. And right. that can happen if you start saying the wrong things. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's a, there's a comfortability and kind of a lack of, um, uh, what's the right word, just self-accountability, self responsibility when it comes to having to um, ask a question and then do something differently because of the true answer of it. You know, people would rather be told what to do and just kind of do it rather than have to think critically and think about, well, what's best for me? What's best for me and my family? Like everyone, something's going to be different for every, every person across the board. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a comfortability in just being told what to do and then doing it versus asking, well, is that really the right thing to do? Is that really the right way to go about things? And that's where hopefully change can happen down the line. Cause I mean, we definitely are in a place where we need things to change at least a little bit, you know, um, Probably a lot. Yeah. Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the idea of change. I don't know how you really work towards it because it feels like every step forward is followed by a step back. And so you're just in this weird mm -hmm. lateral plane. Yeah. And there's always going to be people that don't agree with it because it doesn't work best for them. You know, I mean, that's, but 
but there is no one size fits all for anything across the board. It's like there should be more autonomy and, and flexibility and freedom in me wanting to live my life my way without being labeled something or whatever or being seen or being like just instantly not liked or, you know, dismissed. judged because, yeah, exactly. Dismissed or discounted. Like I'm not telling the truth, but it's, you know, the truth is, can be subjective sometimes. The, I think the conspiracy crowd would have more leverage if, like most groups, there weren't the fringe elements. I think that's the biggest problem is you have mm -hmm. people who will go on this vax idea of we need more science behind it. Like we need mm -hmm. to take a serious look at this. But then they'll also say, oh, you know, the COVID vaccine isn't real. Like there's 5G radiation. Which now, well, <laughs> I can't even throw 5G radiation in there because I've heard Another some things that are now. Yeah. <laughs> Or there's the better one is there's microchips and vaccines. Uh -huh. See right. that it's like right. okay that's probably too far. Right. We went a right. little too far off the cliff. Right. And then so they use that people who will counter use that as an example of see now mm -hmm. we have to dismiss everything they said exactly. because it's a form of gaslighting. Yeah, they're out know? here in the field just they're crazy. They're a crazy person. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like there's people like that in all in every camps group. of people. I mean every you can group. look at the Republicans. You can look at the Democrats. There's always the fanatics, right? That then kind of ruin it for the like the people who who would like identify as Democrat. But then people are like, oh, you're one of those, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, I'm I'm not that at all. But you know, if I have to pick one of two options, which, you know, kind of sucks that I I have to pick two, one out of two, like I guess I adhere a little bit more to their view than the other side, or you know, whatever way you go. Like there's completely reasonable people on both sides of the spectrum. And um, then there are those on the very far end of the spectrum that tend to make a little bit more noise and get like the bulk of the attention because of it. Oh. And it's hard to ignore that. Yeah, it is. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? That's what they say. So yeah, it is a crazy time. Mm -hmm. it, it is just, if we make it through this chaotic period, it'll be interesting to see how we look back mm -hmm. on these past few years and yeah. everything that's come out and everything that will probably come out in the future. And right. Just it'll be interesting to see how people quarrel with that mm -hmm. if they try to shut it down and just say, no, you know, we didn't know what we we're doing. Now we do mm -hmm. or actually want to grapple with what happened and progress through it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it will be interesting to see how people spin this and how if it's taught in, you know, future history classes for children, like what will they say about like these people wow all these people just blindly got this experimental vaccine that like literally just came out and then they were all told they had to get it so they got it it's like who knows how they're gonna how they're gonna verb use the verbs and you know things to describe it and who's gonna be the good guy and who's the bad guy and right who we're gonna point all the blame at yeah yeah right well i think we know who's to blame but <laughs> Well, Reagan, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I really appreciate you yeah. coming on and talking. Yeah. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. I yeah. appreciate it. It's fun. Do you want to plug where people can find you, where they can find Lima's, all your sure. stuff? Yeah, yeah. I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook. Um, Instagram, I think, is at acupuncture period by period Reagan, R-A-E-G-A-N. Um, and Facebook, I'm on, uh, I think it's Lima or Lima's A-H-C um, or online www.laahc.com so yeah you can find me at any one of those okay well thank you reagan really yeah. this is great yeah thank you too